Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 29, Psalm 29 this morning. Now, as we read Psalm 29, I'd like to point out to you the structure of it, because it falls into three different sections. The first section is a call to worship the Lord. It was even our call to worship this this morning in verse two, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The second part of the psalm begins in verse three, and it is the content or the voice of praise to the Lord. And so it begins with a call to praise and then the psalm goes into praising the Lord. So verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. And the final section is a prayer based upon that praise, an action that comes about from the praise that is given. So verse 11, a prayer, may the Lord give strength to his people. Now, this threefold structure is common throughout the Psalms, and it signals to the reader that the Psalms main point is to encourage us to worship the Lord. It is a Hem of praise. Now, the idea and practice of worship has greatly shifted over the last several decades within the church. This shift has taken worship from a God-centered service to a man-centered entertainment. That is to say, the value and power of worship is no longer measured in reference to God's commands, right? Are we worshiping God as he has directed us and would desire us to worship him? But in reference now to man's appetites, did I enjoy what happened this morning? This is true to the extent that in many circles we would say the degree to which God is pleased with our worship is a mere reflection to our own pleasure with what happened This man-centered view was humorously displayed when a friend of mine accidentally confused the lyrics of a popular worship song while we were in college. The lyrics to the song go, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. However, she sang, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. And while we would never intentionally say such a thing, many of us have made worship about ourselves. We have abandoned the truth that worship is about giving honor and glory to God and not primarily about pleasing our own hearts. Not that the two can't go together. They should go together. Your heart should be pleased as you honor the Lord as He has commanded you to. And yet, when we get these out of order, when our priority is our pleasure and not God's commands, we do not worship the Lord rightly. Even in our discussions about the importance of holding worship services during the COVID pandemic, the majority of the conversation has been centered on what we need. We need time together. We need to gather together in worship. And that is right and that is good. But we miss what is of central importance if we do not regard God's right to be worshipped. Worship needs to continue in our homes and in our sanctuaries because God is to be worshipped. 
And let me encourage you. If you are at home watching this live streaming or watching this after it's been recorded, don't skimp on the worship service. Don't fast forward through the sections that you want to get through. But set aside this hour as a holy hour of serving God in worship, not serving yourself. You see, Psalm 29 calls us to worship the Lord. So hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O holy beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips forests bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever let us pray well father god we come to you now in this time and we ask that as we take a few moments to reflect upon your word that you would give to us the proper perspective of worship lord as we come to this psalm that speaks of a storm Lord, many of us feel as though our lives are caught up in the midst of a storm. We pray that you would teach us to hear your voice. Though it may be terrifying at times, may we hear your voice and know your peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. How might we have peace in the midst of a storm? This past Thursday, Hurricane Laura slammed the coast of Louisiana, bringing with it great devastation and chaos. If you've looked online, you've seen the pictures, you've seen the videos of what happened. It was a horrifyingly destructive storm. And we who live here in Lynchburg are no strangers to the destructiveness of storms as well. If you remember a few years back, we had the tornadoes that went down Link Road, destroying trees and homes. And no one who lived through the derecho back in 2012 will soon forget the power of the winds that ripped through Virginia that June. When we first moved here, I felt like I was getting a whole education on what a derecho was. Everyone wanted to tell me all about it and how things had changed. Storms can be fearful events. Now... I remember well moving from Washington State where I grew up, where we had lots of rain but very few storms, to Georgia, where every evening presented an opportunity in the summer for a powerful storm. 
I was fascinated by the destructive forces that were unleashed in these forms. A major storm hit Columbus, Georgia while I was living there, and my dad and I drove around town just to see all the destruction that had come. There were trees that were knocked over. There were power lines that were down. Even a cinder block building had toppled as this powerful storm crashed through the town. In our psalm for this morning, the majority of our text speaks of the power of a storm. And yet it reveals something to us that we might not expect. Namely, that the Lord is in control of the storm. You see, there are some that might view the Lord as sympathetic to those who are caught in a storm. The Lord wants what is good for us and is saddened that a storm has come and threatened the lives of His children. Others might think that the Lord is reactive to the storm. He sees that a storm is coming and He moves and He exerts His power to save His people from the storm. But Psalm 29 reveals to us a much different picture of the Lord's relationship the storm. He is not a sympathetic onlooker. He is not a reactive passerby. He is, in fact, the power of the storm itself. It is His terrifying voice that we hear when the thunder rolls and shakes the earth. It is His voice that strips the trees bare. It is Him who brings the storm. And this is why the voice of the Lord can be terrifying. It is infinitely powerful and uncontrollable. As C.S. Lewis has expressed, the Lord is not tame. He is good, but He is not tame. You see, a storm is beautiful to watch from a distance. To see the dark clouds roll across the plains, to watch the strikes of lightning flash across the sky is awe-inspiring. But in the midst of the storm, it is terrifying. To be hunkered down in your cellar or in a bathtub while the storm passes over is completely nerve-wracking. Yet this psalm, which speaks of the powerful and terrifying voice of the Lord, ends... Look at what it ends. Look what word it ends with. Peace. It ends with peace. You see, the very Lord who brings the terror of the storm is also the Lord who brings peace. In the midst of the storm. And this is what I want you to see in our text for this morning. I want you to see how the terrifying voice of the Lord speaks peace to His people. And therein I want you to see that no matter the storm that comes into your life, you can have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Perspective, as I've already mentioned has much to do with the way that we will perceive storms from a distance that which is fearful can become sublime and the first two verses of our psalm invite us to see the storm from a different perspective that is from a heavenly perspective look down at those verses again verses one and two we read ascribe to the lord O heavenly beings Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, it's easy to miss, but these verses are not directed to us. These verses are not not speaking to human beings. They are speaking to heavenly beings. We know from the Word of God that in the heavenly realm there exists 
spiritual creatures. They are called angels, living creatures, seraphim, sons of God. And these heavenly beings present themselves before the Lord in His temple and they worship Him. And in verses 1 through 2, we have entered into such a heavenly scene. The curtain is being pulled back, as it were. And we have been given the perspective not of man, but of angels who serve the Lord night and day, offering to Him continual worship, who in the splendor of holiness speak of glory and strength. You see, when we are given a glimpse into this heavenly throne room, angelic worship is what we continually see. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Right? Isaiah is in the heavenly realm. He is in the temple of God. He sees the Lord in His temple. And what is the first thing he says? Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. What did Isaiah see? He saw the heavenly beings worshiping the Lord. In Revelation 4, we have another example of the heavenly throne room the apostle john records and the four living creatures each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come You see, as we enter into worship this morning, we enter into worship that has been, is, and will be unto the Lord for all eternity. We join with the heavenly angels, these heavenly beings. We rehearse what we will be doing for all eternity. Standing before the Lord, continually worshiping Him. It is the worship that is due His name. Because He is holy and glorious. And if we would understand what's happening in Psalm 29 as we ought, we must situate ourselves here. Here in the worship of the heavenly temple. We must approach the question of the storm from this angle. Otherwise, our perspective will not be correct. For when the heavenly beings look out onto the world from the throne room of God, they say, as we saw in Isaiah 6, the whole earth is filled with His glory. When we are living in the midst of the storm, sometimes it's hard to see that the whole earth is filled with His glory. When we live our day-to-day mundane lives, it's hard for us to see that the whole earth is filled with His glory. And yet, this is exactly what we see in the last phrase of verse 9. As the heavenly beings look out upon the storm, as we've read through the storm, as they look out from the perspective of God's temple, what happens? Look at the last phrase of verse 9. In His temple all cry glory. You see, as the heavenly beings look out upon the storm that the Lord has brought upon the earth, they call out 
glory. And if you would know peace in the midst of the storm, you must see the storm from this heavenly perspective. That is, you must begin with proper worship of God to see the storm as a manifestation of the glory of God. If we would have peace in the midst of the storm, we must see the storm from the temple. Now, as the psalm progresses, it moves out from the heavenly temple into the world of the storm. And this storm, which is equated with the voice of the Lord, begins geographically in the Mediterranean Sea. And it moves eastward across Lebanon into the mountains of Syrian, which is sometimes called Mount Hermon, and out across the forest of Kadesh. In a sense, it's like a hurricane tracker of the ancient Near East, right? We're watching it as it progresses from the ocean, hitting the land, coming up over the mountains and going into the forests of Kadesh. So we read, if you'd look down at your verse starting, or your text starting in verse 3. We read of the storm. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, right? It's in the ocean. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Right? He, his voice is terrifying, so it makes the land jump and skip. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory! Seven times we are told that it is the voice of the Lord that is directing And even the power of the storm itself. It's the voice of the Lord that breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Who makes the mountains jump in fear. Who shakes the wilderness. Now a theophany is the technical term that's used to describe the appearance of the Lord. When God appears in scripture, that's what we would label. We say, this is a theophany. God appears. And over and over again, the appearance of the Lord is associated with thunder, with a storm. In the heavenly temple scene from Revelation 4, we read, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. We know from the Exodus narrative that as the Lord manifested Himself, He manifested Himself as a pillar of fire. We read, When he appeared before Moses and the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord Jesus says of his own return. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, when the Lord rides forth from His temple, His appearing is like that of a bolt of lightning and His voice 
is like that of the crash of thunder. And it's frightful. And it can be overwhelming. As it should be. For the voice of the Lord is meant to arrest our attention. It is meant to wake us up from our self-centered view of the world so that the power, authority, dominion, and strength of the Lord might be declared. Our God thunders that we might see and know His glory. You know the story of Job and how everything was taken from him. How he lost his flocks, his property, his children, and even his health. And he questioned God for this. Why? Why has this storm come upon me? Why has the storm come and skipped their house but hit my house? Why have my trees been the ones that have fallen? Why is it that my home was the one that was destroyed? Why did I lose my spouse? Why did I get the disease? Why did I get injured? Why, God, have you given me this lot? Why have you allowed me to come into this storm? And maybe this is where you find yourself today. Caught in the midst of the storm. Questioning the Lord, why have you brought me to this place? And so we read the Lord's answer to Job. A theophany. God appears to Job. And we read, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, right? Out of the storm. And said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like His? Who has first given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. You see, the voice of the Lord goes forth in the storms of our lives declaring this simple but profound fact. He is God and you are not. In our self-absorbed, human-centric world, we need to be powerfully confronted with the reality of the divine. Our God is in heaven and He does whatever pleases Him. And if you would know the peace of God's terrifying voice in the midst of the storm, you must know that He is not merely present with you in the storm, but that His voice thunders and His presence is known by the storm itself. He speaks to us in the storm saying, I am the incomprehensible, immortal, and unconquerable Lord of all, including the storm. And there is peace in that. There is peace in knowing the power of God. It's like looking out upon the ocean and sensing how small you are. Knowing that you have nothing to do with controlling the tides as they roll in and roll out. You can do nothing to restrain their power to stand before it and just know that you are not in control. It is God alone who is in control of the storms of our lives. And we can trust Him in that. You see, to know peace in the storm, you must have the perspective of the heavenly temple. 
You must hear the thunderous voice of the Lord speaking that He is God. And the final thing I want you to see is that you must know the power of His heavenly throne. Look down at verses 10 and 11. There we read now this response to worship, right? There was a call to worship from the heavenly realm that the angels would worship Him. Then we see that the Lord has now gone forth in the storm and as they see this storm, they call out glory. And now in verses 10 and 11, we read, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. The throne of God is in the midst of the heavenly temple, right? We read in Isaiah that Isaiah was in the temple. He saw the throne. He saw the Lord seated upon His throne. And the throne is this place of power. It's this place of rule. It is from the throne that God executes His sovereignty over all of creation. And verse 10 tells us that this power is eternal, right? He is King forever. And that it is complete. That is, that He exercises authority over the flood. Now there is only one other place in all of the Bible that this particular Hebrew word for flood appears. And it's in the Genesis 6-9 through narrative of the worldwide flood in the days of Noah. Now the flood was the ultimate demonstration of the Lord's Judgment, right? So when we read this word flood, we understand that flood is God's judgment of sin. It was the terrifying voice of the Lord speaking condemnation over the whole of creation because of the sinfulness that had infested all of creation through man. And when he saw that man was wicked, he released the ultimate storm upon the earth, killing all outside of the ark. Yet following the flood, he made a covenant. He made a promise with Noah and all the creatures of the earth that he would never destroy the earth again by the flood. And he placed, as you know, the rainbow in the sky that when he sees it, he will remember his covenant of grace towards mankind. Now, this is important. If you read in Genesis 9 of the making of the covenant, The rainbow, yes, is a sign to us, but in particular, the text tells us that it is a sign to God Himself. That when God sees the rainbow, He will remember the promise that He made never to destroy the earth by a flood again. As the Lord looks out upon the sinfulness of man, He needs the covenant reminder, as it were, to say, I have made a promise that never again will I destroy the world by a flood. You see, the flood is held at bay by the covenant promise of God. We are told in Revelation chapter 4, that scene of the heavenly throne room, that God is surrounded by this very rainbow. So that as He sees His creation, He sees it through His covenant promise never to destroy the world again, but to give the world grace. And this is how we have peace in the midst of the storm. 
We know that the God who sends forth the storm is also the God who has made a gracious covenant to restrain the storm. His voice is terrifying, but His voice is gracious and loving and kind. It is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is abounding in covenant faithfulness. We can have peace in the midst of the storm because we know that the storm will not ultimately destroy us. His voice thunders, but it thunders mercy. And yet, man's sin, despite the Lord's covenant with Noah, continues to bring forth God's judgment. For while the covenant with Noah restrains the Lord's wrath against sin, it does not extinguish it. However, the Lord in His grace sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the covenant of Noah and to bring an end to the storm of His judgment. For the Lord Jesus went to the cross and on the cross took on the full force of God's wrath against sin. The flood of punishment for our sins thundered against the Lord Jesus Christ as He hanged upon the cross. And God poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ poured out His blood for the forgiveness of sins. So that all who turn to Him in faith will be saved from the storm. He is the ark against the storm of God's wrath. And all who enter into Christ by faith will have peace from the storm. For three days after His death, He rose again and He is now seated upon the throne above the flood. For by His ascension into heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ is enthroned above all, even the flood. And as we return to the temple of God to look out upon the storms of our lives, from His perspective, we see that it is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who sits upon the throne. It is, as Revelation tells us, the Lamb who was slain that sits upon the throne and it is to Him, it is to Jesus that the heavenly beings are saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You can have peace when you are in the midst of the storm, not because you control the storm, but because our gracious and merciful covenant-making God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, is enthroned above the flood. And by His voice of power, He directs the storm. And He speaks mercy over all who come to Him. For even as God looks out on His creation through His covenant rainbow, God looks out upon His church through the blood of Christ, so that as He sees us, He does no longer see our sin, but sees us forgiven because what Christ has done for us. The peace of God's terrifying voice is found in knowing that the One who controls the storm speaks peace to you through Jesus Christ alone. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.
Oh, Father God, we come to you now, and Lord, we come before you, each of us, remembering both literal storms that we have been saved through and yet were terrifying, Lord, and also metaphorical storms in our lives, hardships and struggles that have broken us, that have brought us to our knees, that have terrified us, that have filled us with fear and anxiety. We pray, O God, that we would know peace, that we would see that You are the God who is in control of all the storms of life, and that we would have the grace to hear Your voice thundering forth, knowing that we are not in control, but that the God who loves us through Jesus Christ, who has made to us good covenant promises that will not be broken, that You will bring us through the storms of life, And that even as we are invited this morning in Psalm 29 into the heavenly throne room, that you will bring us there for all eternity, that we might dwell with you forever, looking out upon all and saying glory. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.